Welcome to the Wags of SEI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both our partners are quadriplegics, and after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. So you must be thinking, what is the goal with this group? Our goal is and has always been to establish and nurture a strong network of women around the world who understand and support one another while navigating the SCI life. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission with this podcast is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we tackle deeper discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the WAGS of SEI podcast. Here we go. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases, and they work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource in the spinal cord injury community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You're not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. They are always looking for ways to help improve the quality of life for their clients by providing the support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance and benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, and making sure that their clients are doing physically and mentally okay. Wish Our Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WAGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way that she can, because she wants you to live your life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free. So contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure to mention that the WAGS of SCI sent you. This episode is sponsored by Ruling in Paradise. Rolling in Paradise is a disabled-owned and operated family business owned by Annalisa and John, specializing in adaptive equipment for an active lifestyle. John is a C4, C5 quad for 34 years and has been using adaptive equipment for many years. He hand cycles daily and has been in the adaptive equipment industry for over 20 years. Annalisa and John have been together since 2007 and they have two furry kids. They love to be outdoors, going to the beach, cycling, and any activities to enjoy the sunshine. They are proud to offer the following manufacturers. Madeline Handbikes, Sport On Hand Cycles, Reactive Adaptation Hand Cycles, Stricker Attachable Hand Bikes, Everyday Wheelchairs, including Tylite, Motion Composites, Hands-On Concepts and Colors, Power assist devices such as Spinner G, ZX1, Smart Drive, and Freedom Tracks. And lastly, some accessories and other adaptive equipment Easy Stand, Quadra Grips, Spinner G Wheels, Roho, and Stimuli Cushions, and much, much more. You can contact Annalisa and John by going to their website at rollinginparadise.com 
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wags of FCI podcast. Once again, you're with Brooke Paget and Elena Pauly. Hello, friends. Thank you for spending this time with us um, today. Today, Brooke and I will be discussing the article that was done by Amber Ferguson on August 6th, and it is around unpaid caregivers, how America treats women caring for their paralyzed partners. And last week, if you tuned in, Brooke and I did a reading of the full article. We wanted to keep you guys in the loop for those of you who do not have access to the Washington Post subscription. Um, The article is there for you once again. Please feel free to head back to episode 55 and have a listen to the Washington Post article. So three members of our community were interviewed. We had Jane Morgan, Sarah Thor, and Valerie Petaluga interviewed for this article specifically. And they're all wags of SCI coming from our community. Yeah, so make sure that you take a listen if you haven't heard it. Um, We asked all of you last week to take a listen, um, read the article, and then gather your thoughts and ideas for our little discussion today. Um, So, you know, a lot of the feedback, we were monitoring the comments um, all week long. It was pretty crazy. And we also got an email from Amber to her colleagues um, talking about the shares and the spread. And they had one point, as of as of Friday, last Friday, they had 1.6 million views of the video, which is huge. Um, 80,000 unique uh, visitors to the article itself. And then they had one of the highest conversion rates to subscriptions um, ever, which was amazing. So that is amazing. Right. Um, it's amazing for them because, you know, as much as it sucks now, there's so many paid news outlets now. Um, it's just, it is the way that it is. You subscribe to whoever you want to subscribe. I think Washington Post is $4 a month. Um, but they had like a record-breaking uh, amount of people subscribe. So clearly, <laughs> it's not just the wags of SCI that care about this issue, which is really awesome. Um, uh, you know, I, we were talking about this last night, Elena, and I'd said, I didn't really have any expectations other than um, Joe Biden reaching out to us. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, totally, <laughs> I totally interrupted you there. But no, it's true. But that's what Brooke was saying. She's like, "Well, what what were your expectations?" <laughs> I was like, "I'm waiting for a call from Joe Biden. He's probably wondering how to address us. Like, this is a big deal." <laughs> um, no, but in all seriousness, like literally like so many people read the article. Um, and just from my background in marketing and just working with so many like conversion rates and click through campaigns and all that stuff. Um, the numbers were amazing for anybody out there who doesn't understand what the numbers mean. The numbers were like far beyond what I would ever expect, especially during the age of like COVID, how everybody's obsessed with COVID. And yes, the article had a COVID angle to it, but it was highlighting a much more important global issue that all of us have been struggling with for so long, all caregivers, um, you know, whether you live in one of the eight states that, that do pay spousal caregivers, um, it's not enough. It doesn't show you, it doesn't recognize your value. It's not as much as they would pay outside care to come in. Even if you're more qualified, even if you're more educated because you're a spouse, it's just, it's nonsense. Um, here in Canada, 
it's almost worse. I was saying to to you last night, Elena, I was like, it's almost worse in Canada because there's one province that pays spousal uh, supporters and it's, uh, it's not enough. And it's only one avenue of insurance. It's not, it's not everywhere. And it's just, it's super discriminatory. And here in Canada, the, the big mind blowing thing is uh, on the charter of human rights in Canada, there is a section on the, the discrimination trait, like the, the ways that you dis- should not discriminate somebody and marital and relationship status is one of the protected characteristics, which is interesting because the U S doesn't have that on their charter of rights. Um, but yet they still have eight States that pay their spouses. You still have that option on a few insurance companies. So technically the States is more progressive than Canada, which is insane when it comes to the fact that you know, we have this on our charter of rights here that you cannot discriminate someone in the terms of their employment based on their marital or relationship status, which, um, if you've listened to our other episodes before, Elaine and I are both working on our personal cases right now. Um, and that is a major, uh, point, um, that our lawyer is highlighting is that this is full on a discriminatory against human rights, um, practice and it has to stop and it has to be changed. And the reason why it hasn't changed is because no one's challenged it. And so we get our, you know, we get our, um, our answer on August uh, 26th. So in 10 days, we will have our answer. Oh, <laughs> we'll oh see what gosh. happens. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of meditation before that happens. Right. I mean, so going back to the point that you had mentioned earlier about COVID, yes, this, this article had a COVID angle. And the reason for that being is because I think COVID once again, really highlighted the work that was being done within the home, the domestic, not just domestic labor, but the health care portion of taking care of your spouse and just how so deeply crucial that is in terms of keeping everybody within the home safe and out of the hospital system. And we saw the numbers and we're seeing them again, sort of fluctuating and, you know, getting quite high up there. We're over 700 in BC in British Columbia alone from the last couple days. Oh, are we? Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're close to 800 already. Oh my gosh. From, from 80, a couple of weeks ago, the last time I checked it was 80. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, this is, this is a reality for all of us. And I know we don't have to say this to anybody listening to this podcast because you guys all already know, because most of you are living this life, but it's just so, it's so important that we have some sort of, I want to say it's really important to have some sort of recognition at the very least have some recognition for the work that is being done. And, you know, I found it very interesting in the article with Sarah Thor, when she had mentioned, had I been paid as a spouse to take care of my husband, I would have, there would have been a bit of self-worth attached to that. Not just, you know, when you're, when she's going back to apply for a position after years and years of doing this unpaid labor, nobody's recognizing her employment as employment because there's no paycheck attached to that. There's no recognition of it being important. And I think one of the other issues that I sort of, you know, when I, when I sit here and think about why this is happening is that. I don't feel that a caregiving job 
I feel like it's a very entry level position. It's not looked at as something that should be really recognized and honored and celebrated. People just sort of think, you know, it's it's on the same scale as I'm just going to go work at a McDonald's. If I can't get a job somewhere else, maybe I'll just apply to be a caregiver, where it's very much the opposite of that. It takes a lot of skill to be a caregiver. First of all, you have to have the personality. You have to have the, you know, be able to have the patience, be able to multitask, be able to know, to be able to, you know, have a plan, be able to know when things need to happen for your partner and what the schedule looks like. And then on top of that, many of us are doing things like wound care. Um, we're doing bowel programs. We're doing the meal planning. We're doing, the lifts, the transfers, we're doing, you know, the chauffeuring, taking to appointments. This is all, you know, this is, this is labor intensive and it's skilled work. It's not just like going to McDonald's and flipping fries. Yeah. And well, I think that for me, this really, really highlights the issue of Western society in general. Um, When you see, and you look at, you know, positions in the workforce that help people that actually are doing good things that are, you know, even teachers that are actually educating our future generations, um, social workers, um, counselors, like people that are out helping and actually doing the grunt work of helping people. They're notoriously low paid positions. It's just the way that it is. You don't get into a a position where you're helping people one-on-one and actually trying to change the world or keeping someone alive like those, those positions are notoriously underpaid, low paid or overworked. And it's, it's interesting. And it just really shows what Western society values. I mean, yes, there's something to be said about, you know, you can do whatever you want, you know, the American dream, the Canadian dream, you can build as much as you want and this and that. But it's, it's interesting how those jobs that they're actually doing some great work and helping people are just, they're not valued. They're not valued as far as payment. Uh, To me, I've always thought that those jobs should be at the pay schedule of a lawyer or a doctor. Um, Because, you know, yes, doctors are helping people. Yes, lawyers are helping people. But they, they have such a high pay bracket. And, you know, a lot of these people have the same amount of education as lawyers and doctors. And they're actually educating and helping people and keeping people alive. So I just, I think it really highlights a problem for me in Western society where you just, you're not, you don't get that respect. And I think about Sarah and I, I put myself in her shoes and cause we know her quite well through um, emailing and we've, we've been in followed touch with her. her. Yeah, yeah. Followed her story over the years. She was one of the first and initial bikes yeah. of SEI to join the team in terms of outreach and support and community. Right. Yeah. And I just think about how uh, resentful I would have been if I were in her situation where, you know, you're helping your husband. Yes, there's a certain level of, you know, you're, you're, you're grateful that you can do that for your husband. There's a certain level of that. But having a couple of nurses come in and rotate in that you know, are being compensated for their time and for their labor and their effort. And you just are in there not being paid, not being recognized. Like no wonder she, you know, she said in the article, she felt like a zombie walking around with no one, no one needing her. She just didn't feel recognized and that's huge and it it's just so sad because you know you're you're helping to lovingly keep somebody alive and well yeah and especially the sad. level of care that he does require right. that right. that Michael does require right um 
sort of touching base on that a little bit. That's sort of, you know, Dan and I have been really challenged with the, with the move comes a whole new care system of new caregivers. And this last couple of weeks, we've had a really difficult time with people showing up, either showing up so late that we don't think they're going to show up or just showing up really late and Dan being late for work or, you know, we're sort of riding that wave. So I sort of feel a little bit of that of, I guess when you have caregivers coming in and sometimes I sort of, I try to get away from that space of what you were saying with Sarah, of feeling resentful where you're seeing people coming in and doing a really lousy job or the bare minimum and they're making, they're making the money, <laughs> right? They're ma- they're getting paid. Um, and you do this long after they come and go, right? You continue to do the shift. The shift doesn't end. And, um, you know, just to interrupt you here for a second, there was a lot of comments on the post articles talking about like, why are they complaining? They should just go um, and get a job. Like if they have paid care coming in, why don't they just go get a job? And it's, it's not, it's not as simple as that. Like we're, we're choosing to help our partners. It's not like we can go get a job and then come home and compensate. Like I know Elena, you've talked about this in the past where you've been working and you've been called because someone so-and-so didn't show up. It's the unreliability you know, we get sick of yeah. the unreliability, right? Also, also, it's not very good for your own physical and mental health. Like when your your adrenals are constantly just through the roof and you're sort of on that, you know, your body is in that fight or flight response of, or fight, freeze, flight, um, <laughs> that response of just jump up and go at any moment. It's like sort you're of- on call all the time. All the time you're, you know, it's not even about the physical of I'm going to sit down and have a cup of coffee. And then now I'm being called, which a lot of women do discuss, but it's more so at any moment, anything can happen. You never get to a place of peace and rest. Like your body is just consistently in that space of at any moment, something will happen. Even when you go to work and you separate yourself from your partner at any moment, just knowing that the care is just not sufficient. It's not there. Um, and even when the care shows up here, they're all often asking me for help. Hey, do you know where his pants are that he wants to wear? Hey, do you know where the sock? Hey, do you know where the catheters are? Um, can you help me transfer him? I'm like walking out the door with both my dogs, taking them for a walk in the morning when they come here. Um, wait, can you help me do this? And sometimes I sort of think to myself, and I'm not never rude. I just say, yeah, of course. Okay. Because I don't ever want somebody to feel that position. But Dan and I were talking about this and we're like, but they're getting paid to do this job. So, so if anything, if you get down to the bare, bare basics of this, it's the training is obviously not there. So how is it that this career path, this career choice, they're obviously not valuing their employees well enough to make sure that they're walking into a home. And I understand you're walking into many different homes, but with confidence coming in, you know, thinking, I know exactly what I'm going to do here. I'm, I don't know. There's just, and they're, they're burned out too. Like they're underpaid as well. And that's the thing is like, if you find a good care, right. right? They're resentful as well. Like I've heard many stories of our care caregivers before saying, you know, I'm going to somebody's house who's this person's pulling my hair or swearing at me or 
yeah. or whatnot. You don't it's know true. what you're walking into. It's true. And it's like a long line of just like a lot. There's disrespect. There's, you know, people are doing this because they have no other option. There's a lot of reasons. I mean, if you find a good caregiver in there, and I'm not saying that there's no good outside caregivers, because there's a lot of women in our group that have found them and are perfectly happy with their situation. Um, applause to you. That's amazing. Yeah, that was rare. me. That yeah. was us before we moved. And now we start from the barrel, the bottom yeah. of the barrel. Yeah. And you know what? I have a, a interesting story for everybody about um, training. So Elena, I know they, <laughs> they mentioned in the post article, um, our girls trip for one night. Um, when we went to New yeah. Lake, we went for one night and I had to hire a care aide to come in. So three weeks before I gave plenty of time. We called in an agency. We had a three-hour home visit where they asked all these questions of his needs and times and this and that. And, uh, you know. Did you guys, sorry, I forget. Did you guys do like a trial session like where they came in and like tried before they. No. So this is, so this is my, this, this will, it'll get to my, I'll get to this. So. We, um, we had like a home visit. They came, she was like, okay, this was like the head nurse. She's like, okay, um, I will make sure that someone is available. I will spend the next two weeks combing my system, making sure that there's a suitable person. Cause she understood this was my first time away in years. Um, I wouldn't be available at night. So then long story short, um, Evan's insurance company did not approve someone to stay overnight with him. Now keep in mind, my husband's a C4. Um, he literally needs help moving his covers off and on of him every night. I wake up every hour and a half, two hours and assist him with either rolling him, uh, moving his pillows, spraying him off because he gets incredibly hot, removing his covers, taking them off and on, making sure that he is safe and comfortable. And this is like, you know, catheters, whatever it may be. Um, but he wasn't approved for overnight care when I was away. So what happened was, and we <clears throat> we weren't really sure how many hours someone, because someone would come in at night when I was away. So a stranger came in at 1030 at night and got him into bed, stayed for an hour and a half, and then left him alone. And the other problem with leaving him alone was um, that he cannot enter and exit his unit without assistance. Um, so if there had been a fire or something wrong, he would have no way to get in and out of his apartment. Um, so it's just, it's a safety thing here. And that was the insurer's fault, of course. Um, but the bigger picture thing is, is that they sent someone that didn't know how to do a catheter to get him up at 5.30 in the morning. She was scared of dogs. Those were two requests that we had to have. We had to have an LPN. She wasn't an LPN. It was a disaster. I came home. He had she didn't know how to properly put on a condom catheter. So he had marks all over his penis. It was literally a nightmare. And so I said to myself, I was like, is going away one night at this time worth it to me? Absolutely not because of this stress. Um, because when these things happen, it's not about control. It's about the safety of your partner and the fact that nobody really cares, to be honest, um, when it when it comes down to it. And so we had a discussion with his case manager afterwards. We wrote in this huge letter detailing everything that happened, um, just making sure that everything was on file, how we were never going to call that, that company again, um, that agency again. And um, basically the response was he called and he said, Oh, okay. He's like, yeah, we totally understand. We're so sorry. We will follow up with that um, nursing agency. You don't have to use them again. In fact, you can pick your next in, in, your next agency, and we'll get somebody to come in a week before so you can train them, Brooke. 
And I said to I said to the case That's manager. That's good though. That's amazing, right? Yeah, it's amazing. But here's the thing. Who's going to compensate me for spending hours training this person to do my job in a good, like, that's the thing. It's just like, he knows I don't get paid. He knows I do this for free. He knows I've saved insurance 25 grand a month, you know, with my better care. And then he's like, oh, you can train them. And it's like, you know, the one time that I said, I'm not stepping in, I'm going to give this person as much information as I can in the three hour visit. And then I'm going to go on my girl's trip. Mm-hmm. When I do that, it's just a disaster. And so yeah. it's just like, you know, the point I'm trying to make is, is that the rely the reliance on the spousal or family caregiver is so strong because they care and the insurer and the government programs, they know that you care. They know that you're not going to abandon your partner. So they use that. And that's the problem with our caregiving society is Mm -hmm. that they use the people who are there because they care. And that is just so wrong. It is. And I, and I know from experience, like with Dan, let's say, cause my partner, Dan likes to be, he likes to be in charge of his care. It's something that we've always sort of pushed towards. It's like, this is your body. This is your experience. The care is the way that you want it. He has a voice. He can tell them exactly what he needs. Um, when he needs it. And I know even I, I try and it's taken me years to sort of take a step back and allow him to have that space. Because I mean, to be quite honest, it doesn't really matter what I want. I'm not the one in the wheelchair. It's, it matters what he wants. He's the one in the wheelchair. He's the one living his life paralyzed. So I really just take a backseat to it. And I notice the stuff coming up in me, even when I hear the conversation between them, like, oh my God, like this morning, there was a conversation about blue gloves. Do you have blue gloves? And I was like, well, I have a whole bunch of gloves. They're not blue. And then this long conversation about the difference between blue and regular regular gloves, the, the clear ones and why it's better to have the blue ones and all, and all this. And, um, you know, even listening to Dan you know, training his care, because that's kind of what we're still doing. And it takes a long time. It's not a three hour long visit. It takes a long time to have somebody know exactly like your routines, where your things are, how you like things done. Um, And just listening to that. And I'm sort of thinking, oh, my goodness, like, this is a huge process. This is not something to take lightly. It's not a three hour long visit. It's this is somebody's care. Like if you don't do the bowel care properly, they can get very sick they can die. So these are very skilled, like what you're saying, sort of circling back to what you're saying, because these are skilled positions. I know for a fact that if I left Dan with his parents to do this, there's no way that they would know what the hell is going on, right? It's not even somebody who's trained to, you know, you're trained on one particular model where the model is, it's one cookie cutter and it fits everybody where it's not, this is very individualistic. And that's, that's the routine that you have to get down. Pat is what Evan might like the way he not even like need is very different than what Dan or somebody else would need to have done in what order and the way that they'd like it, you know, or they need it. So exactly she and the thing is is that nurse that head nurse wrote down and i didn't see this till after because her she's like no our notes are confidential we give it to work safe of course um Mm -hmm. but she had wrote down that his bowel routine takes 20 minutes and that's how much time i'm just like uh nobody's bowel routine takes 20 minutes (laughs) like these people are skilled (laughs) nursing professionals and they still think a high level quadriplegic would take 20 minutes in the bathroom like it's just it's unreasonable it's ridiculous but you know what 
let's get back to the article. Uh, let's talk about some of the positives. So we were monitoring yeah. the comments and what people were saying. And um, there was a huge, huge, huge amount of positive comments, far outweigh the negatives. There was a lot of ignorant negative comments. And if you want to see them, you can go on the post article, you can go on the Facebook post. I actually didn't <laughs> notice too many of those. I think it really was over like flooded with positive comments and people coming out of the woodworks that are talking about other family members with spinal cord injuries. Right. It wasn't just spouses, which was really cool. Right. Really cool to have that. Well, cause it's a family issue. It's a family caregiver issue. It's, um, you know, I mean, there was, you know, the negatives that I saw were just, you know, people comparing it to like having children and you don't get paid to take care of your children. Although I think you should in the Nordic countries, a homemaker is considered a very respected position. Um, mm-hmm. They also pay 60% taxes, <laughs> but still it's, you know, it's, it's a respected position. It's you're caring for somebody you get paid. Um, you shouldn't have to sacrifice. So there was that. And there was also like, you know, you said your marriage vows through thick and thin sickness and health. I had to care for my husband who was dying. It's like, yes. Okay. I get that. Every caregiver that is at home sacrificing their life and work to care for another human being should be compensated. But unfortunately, that's not what the article was about. However, you know, it got a lot of attention from other caregivers, which is huge. And that's really what everybody wants. We want more conversation across different platforms, which is amazing. And people finding commonalities in the article. Um, There was so, so many positive comments, like I said, um, a lot of like, just like, wow, I didn't know this was happening. Wow, this happened to my friend. I'm so glad that the post picked this up. I'm shocked that the post picked this up. We had a lot of, <laughs> we had a lot of uh, comments that said that, that they were shocked that the post cared about this and how great it was. And, you yeah. know, it, it was really awesome. And there was a, there was a lot of people that just didn't know that this was happening. And, you know, we also got a lot of, oh, they're saints, the whole, oh, you're a saint comment, which was interesting because it's a positive comment. Those people are saying, you know, wow, these women are amazing. You're a saint. And, I, you know, both of us, Elena, we've both had that comment from people before, like even my we, dad. We have, we have. Yeah. And I think it took us a while to take it in a different tone because you right. can look at it from different perspective. At first it was kind of like, why would you say that we're not saints? But it, but when you think about when somebody doesn't really have the knowledge around the care and yeah. the position that you're in, it's yeah. they're more so saying it in terms of, wow, this is right. a lot of work, right? That's, right? that's what they're saying. And they respect you and they think it's amazing. And the thing is, is that I always say this and I always think this too. I always say this. People don't understand what they would do if they were put in this position. They automatically think I could never do that. But they would surprise themselves to know Mm -hmm. that if this happens to you, God forbid this happens to you, you would think differently if you were put in this position. Trust me, I was like the least caregiving person before um, my partner's accident. I did not have it in me. I literally was the least, I could not, I, I was just so horrible at maternal instincts. I was so bad at like helping him when he was sick. Like I just, I did not have it in me. And then something flipped when he had his accident, something changed. Um, and so when you're put in this position, you can be a saint too. You would be a saint too. I mean, and like, you know, I said to some of the comments, like there's two choices that you make when this happens to you. Do you stay and prioritize your love over physical issues or do you leave? Both are very respectable. Both are, you have to do what your soul is guiding you to do. Right. And both are totally fine. Um, you just have to kind of make that decision when you're in that position, right? And for yourself and be honest right. with yourself. And there is zero shame around either 
either opportunity or either decision that you make because at the end of it I think that what should be celebrated is following your truth who you Mm -hmm. really really are and what you really really want and the thing is is a lot of us in the waste community found that when this accident happened if we were with our partner when it happened um, even the people that met after the struggles and the new perspectives that you're given from this accident, from this life change, um, they really help you to find your truth of who you really oh are. Oh my God. The elevation of growth overall, of the, yeah. not even like SCI related, like injury sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but everything else, like in terms of developing, you learn so many skills, you learn a lot of skills on self-regulation Um, Well, for the most part, I think you do. And just also just like co-regulating each other, being able to be in a space of you learn that you can't be under stress for a long period of time. It's not long term. You can't. You can't live like that. Right. So you have a choice to make of either being able to sustain each other and support each other in a positive environment Mm -hmm. with peace and love and all the good stuff that you find. There's almost like a silver lining with this injury, I think. Um, And you, you can either learn to go that way or I don't know if you would be able to make it long term. Yeah. You really get handed on a silver platter. Um, all the tools that yeah. you need for tools success. And, and just like you get a reflection of your behavior pretty quickly. Like, I mean, that's one of the differences between able-bodied couples and uh, couples like us is uh, your behavior isn't necessarily magnified in the same way because your partner doesn't rely on you in the same way. Um, and I feel like when your partner has some sort of reliance on you, like needs a bit of assistance, even paraplegics, um, you're the way you react to each other is really highlighted more. Um, and you get that presented to you as a, as a learning tool to really become who you want to become. Right. And it's just really shown to you. And a lot of other couples, they don't get that because they, you know, they disconnect from each other. They live in their own worlds. They go their separate ways. They have to work on reconnecting. Whereas us, we have that connection and we have to work on disconnecting no (laughs) (laughs) well yeah we have to work on making that connection work right so that it's not a disaster between two people that's the whole challenge right you know what I was thinking the other day and it's been a long time since I've had these thoughts like the thoughts of like what it used to be like before a partner's injuries like you know hey honey what are you gonna do today like everybody knows you get up you go to work you shower yourself you get up and then you just sort of make your coffee maybe you have a quick meal together or maybe you don't you just grab your coffee and run out the door and then that's it right and then you don't and then yeah yeah and then you have your separate lives and that but even like the act of waking up and being able to get up and dress yourself and have a shower yourself. It's been a long time since I've had those thoughts of like, whoa, what is that like? Like now, I mean, we're what, five and a half years in and already I'm like, what was that like? Like, I don't even remember. (laughs) It's just so it's not the norm. And I notice it a bit like on weekends and stuff, like we like to sleep in and stuff. And, um, I'm like, what was that like? I don't even remember. I don't know. The adjustment, right? It's so it's it's like in the in the near but distant past, sort of. It's hard to explain. I think also within the first year of recovery and every year after that, there's just such a there's just a plethora of emotions and experiences and situations 
that you go through, that you adjust to, that you learn something new from. And sometimes, especially if you're in that dissociation realm through the first year, it's really hard to remember all the skills that you build up and that you sort of add to your toolbox, right? And then the next year comes back and then you're sort of like unraveling. After you start to unravel all the stuff that you really went through, then you can really sort of sit back and be like, wow, that was really interesting. And then maybe be able to reflect on that, but it's a wild ride. For sure. Um, well, I mean, another huge thank you to Amber for taking this story on, um, for listening to us when we texted her in the beginning of COVID saying, Hey, we have a story Help. for you. Help, Help our yeah. community. <laughs> you know, she was right there being like, I'm super interested. I want to know yeah. more. I want to help you guys. And it's really hard to find someone, you know, let alone a woman, a woman who's actually interested um, in your cause. And we're so indebted. And somebody outside of our community too, right? Because right. she doesn't have a connection at all right. to, paralysis or being a partner with somebody with paralysis necessarily. But Amber Ferguson, for anybody listening that doesn't know, did the first article on the WEGS of SCI in 2018. Brooke and I established this community in 2017, the end of it. So the following year, she picked up the WEGS of SCI uh, story of how the group began and has we've been so, so fortunate to have this friendship and relationship with her over the years. And she truly does care about this community. She truly does care about you guys, which is incredible. And she did so much work. I mean, she did hours and hours 15, and hours and hours. Yeah, 15 months in the making. So pretty well beginning of COVID almost. Yeah. But we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you, Amber. We recognize all of... I mean, so much happened during COVID too. You know, we had so many other news news reporting and covering. So we're so blessed to have been able to have this story as she launched it on the Sunday front page business section of the Washington Post. So that was really cool. It's awesome too, because I just love the fact that a lot of it was, I love that it was in the business because she had originally said it was going to be online in the women's um, area. Yeah. But the fact that it's in the business section, which is read by a lot of uh, businessmen, um, I'm hoping that a lot of them were touched by this because um, this can, this injury, like we always say, it can happen to anyone at any time, regardless of your status in life. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. A lot of our followers have, you know, transverse myelitis, have had tumors in their spine that form overnight. They've had blood clots that are just random, right? Um, you know, let alone all the accidents that, that create this. It's not just accidents, right? And so it can literally happen to anybody. And that's why everybody should care. But I was so happy that it was in the business section because there's a lot of people that read that section that uh, are definitely, you know, men. And it was really smart um, on the Post's behalf. I know that Amber's editor was a woman too. So it was very strategic. <laughs> um, so it was just great. And um, yeah, it, anyone who hasn't read the article, you can find the link on our website. Uh, you can find the full article on our website without video or pictures. If you want to read it or share it and you don't have access to the Post, you can also find it on the Post website. Just search um, in your Google bar, Washington Post. Uh, caregivers, spinal cord injury, and it'll Wags come right of SCI. Up. Yeah, it'll come right up. Um, so make sure that you share it. Make sure that you spread the word. Um, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. And, you know, 
we need your help. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we were talking about this last night, Elena, about how, you know, we can only do so much for the collective. We have to work on our own cases. Uh, we have to start from the ground up and which is what we're doing behind the scenes. But we're hoping that this inspires um, some women out there that are victims of this that want to change policies. And the only way you change policies is by appealing and by working the process, um, working the steps, uh, doing what you have to do to, you know, get a lawyer, get someone to help you uh, go through the process at your insurance company or your government program. Go all the way to the top. Yeah, That's it right. can take and years, but you have to do it, right? And don't give up. And if you do need a lawyer, as always, Robin Wishart with Wishart Brain and Spine Law is the Wags of SCI lawyer who will provide you with legal free legal advice and will always have you back no matter what she's part of the girl gang she believes in the collective and truly truly has a passion and heart for helping you guys out as she has for us so once again don't hesitate to reach out robin wishart at wishart right in spine law yeah and you can find links to her on our website as well wagsofsci.com and if you want to touch base directly with her you can email us confidentially wagsofsci at gmail.com if you need a letter of support if you need something to assist you in your journey to getting to be a compensated family caregiver we are all here to help you we are definitely working the process ourselves we have a lot of advice and so if you or or you know somebody that is going through this please send them our information we are here to advocate and support you so until next time thank you once again for spending this last little segment with us with the Washington Post discussion. Until next time, cheers and stay safe. The advocacy and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags, including counseling, and our amazing meetup led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website, wagsofsci.com, or donate directly to the Wags of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide. <laughs>